Good to see you this morning, and we'll certainly address some thoughts on the resurrection in the morning service, but I want to share with you um, something. I, I said to you, I think, one or two times during the week that I have been on a journey. I'm, I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man anymore either, and uh, I don't want to spend the years of energy and strength and life that I have left, I don't want to spend them on vanity. I, I want to do what God wants me to do, and I want to make sure that I'm encouraging people to do what God uh, wants us to do. And so several years ago, I kind of started a journey on just wanting to make sure that what I was doing as a pastor and now as, a, I don't know what, an itinerant preacher uh, was what God prescribed for us in missions. And one of the messages, one of the studies that he led me to was a study of a single word. Now, again, I always give this proviso. I took elementary Greek 45 years ago for a full two semesters. So I am a Greek scholar, okay? <laughs> I just confess that to you. No, but I, I do love words, and I love studying words. I love where they came from and how they came to be and what they mean and how they've changed. And uh, God led me to one specific word in the New Testament that has just opened up for me the truth of what he wants us to do uh, in, in sending missionaries and supporting missionaries specifically. And so that's what I want to do. We're going to do a sword drill uh, in Sunday school. You ever been part of a sword drill and you got to find that verse? We're going to look at a number of verses. But uh, I want you to start in Matthew 28. And when you find Matthew 28, I want you to find Acts chapter 1 and hold both of those places. And we'll make some introductory comments there and then we'll get on with the study of that single word. Notice in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, you probably have never seen these verses before. The Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray and ask his help. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning, the great occasion of this morning when we celebrate uh, our Savior rising from the dead, the victory that that brings to our lives. And Lord, we now ask your Holy Spirit to teach us his word. We need to understand and we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, very clearly, the Great Commission describes to us what God's expectation for us is. And we are to go and teach all nations. We know as we study that word that it is the word that says we're to make disciples. And so the truth is, as others say, we're to go preach the gospel, confront men with their sin, and tell them that there's a remedy for their sin, the man Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And then we're to baptize them. And to baptize that new convert is simply identifying with Christ and where they had walked in an old life before knowing Christ, now they know Christ 
and they are identifying their life now, their new life with him. You know, baptism has become rather ordinary where we live, but I assure you across the world, baptism is not ordinary. And for many people in many places, it, it, it is their very life, perhaps, uh, if they are to identify in baptism with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's an important step and one that I hope we always value as independent fundamental Baptists. I heard a Baptist say about six months ago that baptism was nothing more than a metaphor for commitment to Christ. And it is not a metaphor for commitment to Christ. It is a commandment of the scripture to be immersed in water and identify. And then it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In my mind, that requires a church because I don't know about you, but I've been saved a long time and I'm still learning. And to really teach a new convert all the things that Christ has commanded us requires, I believe, that church and preaching and teaching at that church, faithfulness at that church, and then over a lifetime, uh, we can develop into the people that Christ wants us to be. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a big, that's a big command. <laughs> Go ye therefore and, and into all the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to observe all things. Now, flipping over to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, God gives us a very clear understanding of where we are to do that. And he says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, and the key word is both, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So at the same time that we are witnesses of, and preachers of the gospel in Jerusalem, at the same time God says, I want you reaching Judea. And at the same time, I want you reaching Samaria. And at the same time, I want you reaching the uttermost part of the earth. I am not omnipresent. I am omniscient. My wife says, I think I am anyway. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omnipresent. So how in the world, if God commands me to be part of something that reaches the world, how in the world can we get that done? And we understand that these commissions were not given to individuals. If they were given to individuals, they've passed off the scene. They have no relevance to our lives. <clears throat> but they were given to the church. And we are members of a local church. And so God's command to us is that we are to make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all the things he's commanded us to know and observe and do that where we live, a little further than where we live, a lot further from where we live, and oh, by the way, in case it's not clear, to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, my question this morning is, how in the world? How in the world do we get that done? We recognize our limitations. We are not able to be in all places at all times I can't speak all languages. I don't understand all cultures. I'm not even likable to some cultures. How in the world can we get that done? And you know what? God did not leave us without an answer. We saw a moment of that when we said missions makes a difference on Thursday night. And, and the truth is God calls people 
to go certain places. He separates some and says, my plan for your life is to go to Zambia or is to go to Burkina Faso or Indonesia. Uh, And I'm missing one. What am I missing? What is it? I knew that. You didn't have to tell me. (laughs) Guyana. And I'm going to separate you, and I want you to go to that place. But then we saw that not only did he separate and call others to go, that church commissioned and sent. And without the church commissioning and sending, it is very difficult for those who are separated and called to go. And because we cannot be every place... It's essential for us to commission and send those whom God separates and calls. Now, here's the issue that I want to deal with in this lesson for a few moments. How do we send? How does God show us in the New Testament how we are to send as a local church? We can't go, but that's our responsibility to reach Burkina Faso. How do we send somebody to that place? Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn up to Acts chapter 13 or 15. While you're turning there, I'm going to say this. I believe it comes down to one single word in the New Testament, and it is the Greek word propimpo. If you and I were spelling it in English, we would spell it P-R-O-P-E-M-P-O. It's translated several ways. It's translated brought, being brought. Bring forth, accompanied, supported, conducted. And then Mr. Thayer says that it means specifically this, to outfit for a journey, to fit out for a journey. All right, let's see how it's applied, and I believe it's applied three ways. I believe the church is to support those who are separated and called financially. I believe that the church is to support them prayerfully. And then I believe that the church is to support them, and I'm going to add a word, emotionally. Notice it with me. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Being brought on their way, now there's our word, being brought, that's our word, propimpo, on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren." Let me unpack it a little bit. What's taking place here? Well, Paul and Barnabas have returned from a missionary journey where they saw many, many folks saved. And by the way, when they got home and reported to their local church, they didn't stop doing the work of preaching the gospel. And so in the area where they are, they're preaching near Antioch and people are getting saved. And as always, the devil gets stirred up when people get saved. And so the devil makes sure that some folks come down there, some Judaizers, and say, hey, listen, we appreciate the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching to you, but (laughs) it's not enough. It's a good start, 
But, you know, once you take this rabbi Jesus by faith and you express love and devotion to him, well, then you've got to follow aspects of the law. Now, if you wanted to get Paul a little bit irritated, that's how you went about it. And so Paul and Barnabas have no small disputation with these people. They're going to they're gonna fuss over this. And uh, they come back to the church at Antioch, and, and boy, we've got an issue here. We don't believe you need to observe the law. We know that it's by grace. We're preaching the gospel as it should be. But, but you know, there's questions, and we want everybody to be comfortable with this. And so the elders at the church at Antioch say this, all right, let's, let's just know that we're on firm footing. Now, by the way, they're in the first century. We're in the 21st century. We know we're on firm footing. We don't need to send anybody to Jerusalem, all right? But, but it's, it's a question. They want to make sure that they're, they have unanimity on it. And so we're going to send you, Paul, Barnabas, why don't you take one or two others, we want you to go. We can't all go. We can't all leave our employment. We can't all leave our homes. But listen, we, we want you to go in our place to Jerusalem. Hey, it's almost like we're going to deputize you to go in our place to Jerusalem. And because we're making that request of you, because we're deputizing you to go in our place, it's only fitting that we propimpo you. It's only fitting that we brought you from here to there. Lousy English, tremendous theology, all right? And so they made whatever was necessary for Paul and Barnabas to go to Jerusalem. Perhaps it was buying shoes. Maybe Paul's shoes were worn out. Maybe it was providing the vittles that were necessary for the trip. Perhaps it was money so that they could stay in an inn and be safe and not stay on the road. But whatever was necessary financially for the journey from Antioch to Jerusalem and back, the church said, because you're going in our place, we will provide for you to go. Now, what's the difference? We have uh, folks here from Burkina Faso, we have all the, I'm not going to try to do that every time because I got about a hundred thoughts running through. So all these missionaries that are here, you know, hey, you're here. I'm going to, I'm going to keep using Burkina Faso. Okay. They are separated and called to go to Burkina Faso. Winning Burkina Faso is not their responsibility alone. It is the responsibility of Lakewood Baptist Church. And so Lakewood Baptist Church, having a responsibility to win those people to the Lord and to be preaching the gospel there, making disciples, baptizing all the things that we went over, because that's our responsibility as a local church, thank God they have sent us the Knickerbockers who are separated and called to go to that place and, and, and they're on something, they're not, but pretend they are, they're on deputation. Why? Because they're looking for local churches who have been commanded of God to preach the gospel in those places, to deputize them, to send them in our place. And so here they come and they audaciously ask for money. But it's New Testament, man. 
It's our responsibility to support them so that they can go to that place and preach the gospel in our place. Notice a second one with me. If you just, uh, I'll show you two or three financially. One we've looked at, but it's worth looking at again. Go with me to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. And I love this. And I know I spoke about it just a, mo- or a, a night or so ago briefly, but let me go over it. Notice in verse 22. Again, we're talking about financial support. Paul speaking, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. Paul has a great desire to go to Spain. You know why? Because he loves Spanish cuisine. No. Because nobody has gotten to Spain. Nobody's preaching the gospel in Spain. He wants the gospel to get to Spain. I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I may be somewhat filled with your company. Now back up. Did you see it? To be brought on my way thitherward by you. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is not saying, I'm coming to the church at Rome, and I want you to brought me, to carry me over, to physically carry me to Spain. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm almost finished here. No one is reaching Spain. To get to Spain, I'm coming through Rome. And I want to minister to you in Rome. I want to get to know you and fellowship with you, impart something spiritual to you. But my goal is to get to Spain. And my motive for coming to you, secondly, is I want you to outfit me for the journey to get to Spain. Again, he's asking for financial help. He's saying, I don't have the fare. I don't, he, my goodness, he's given his entire life to the gospel and he can't do it alone. And he's asking for help to get to that place to preach. We have in our mind sometimes that the Apostle Paul only and ever preached the gospel by bivocationally providing for himself. He was a tent maker. And so everywhere he went, he made tents and then was able to preach the gospel. Do you know that that's not the majority of his time in his ministry? No, he was supported by other churches. And when necessary, he would make tents and provide his own way of living. But by far the majority of time, he rejoices that God provides through local churches that he started or others knew of him, and they sent to his necessity. We saw that in the book of Philippians the other night as we looked at chapter 4. And so here's this audacious missionary saying, hey, coming to your church, going to do some preaching, going to ask for money. One of the things fundamental Baptists need to get over, it takes money. It takes money to buy plane tickets. It takes money to buy uh, food. It takes money to rent homes or get homes. It takes money to buy vehicles that can go through creeks. 
You know, we would think nothing of buying a four-wheel drive here, and somehow a missionary says, well, I'm living in the Congo, and there's like seven rivers I got to cross. Well, are you going to get a four-wheel drive or something? Uh, yeah, I'd like to get my family through and back home. It just takes dollars. And it's not foreign to the New Testament. It's on almost every page of the New Testament that the church has a responsibility to provide financially for those whom God has separated and called and are willing to go in our place to do that job. I want you to notice just one more with me before we get on to a different subject. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I really love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And notice with me in verse 5. And again, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking. Now, I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. For I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may, and here it is again, propimpo, bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. Now, what's a get hold of this? Paul's saying, I'm coming, and I want you to support me. Well, where are you going, Paul? Well, don't know yet. Just want you to support me. How would you like if a missionary showed up at church? Uh, you know, Brother Knickerbocker, he had no idea where he's going. And here he is asking for support. Where are you going, Brother Knickerbocker? Not sure, just, you know, no. Paul was never light like that. But he, but he wasn't determined as to where God would send him. But he knew he was going to need help getting there. And so he says to this church, I'm coming, and I have the expectation that you will propimpo, you will outfit me for the journey whithersoever I go. Now stay with me. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timotheus come, See that he may be without you, or with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace. And again, it is the word propimpo. And, and Paul is so forward that he says, hey, would you outfit Timothy for the journey that he'll be on as well? I, I love this. And again, I, as a pastor for those many years, I, I did not preach a great deal on giving. I preached on giving because it's a necessary part of teaching what God wants us to know and do and observe in our lives. But we have this notion that somehow we are money hungry and all we're doing is preaching. And I know that it has been abused. I know that there are churches that emphasize only money and they're carnal in their approach to ministry. That's not true in this church. And it's not true in most churches like ours. But it is absolutely true that if the gospel is going to be carried forth, it requires finances. And God has put people like you and I in churches. He's not separated or called me to go to a foreign country. But the call upon my life and the responsibility on my life is every bit as great 
as it is on these young families that he is called to go to those places. And the responsibility that he has placed on me, first all, is that I'm the outfitter. I love to go fishing. I was preaching at a church last week in the mountains of Tennessee, and uh, I'm a bass fisherman, but this pastor took me trout fishing, and I caught some. Have you ever been bit by the bug? And now I've, I've spent like 20 minutes looking at videos on looking for outfitters who can teach me how to be a better trout fisherman because I think the Lord wants me to spend the rest of my life trout fishing in the mountains. <laughs> hey, you know what? In, in a sense, I'd rather be the outfitter than the person who is constantly looking for somebody to outfit them for the journey. You know how tough that is. You know how tough it is to just, your life is calling church after church after church, answering machine after answering machine after answering machine, no return call, no return call. You talk about being rejected by your own. (laughs) Be a missionary. And yet, you're looking for somebody to partner with you, to outfit you for the journey. And folks, that's our job. That's not just finances. I want you to see something else. Turn with me to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Pardon me. It is allergy season. Have you noticed? Chapter 21 and verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Cus, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us, there's our word, propimpo, on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we, what, kneeled down on the shore and prayed. I want you to get a hold of this. The ticket is already bought. He's already got the fare. He's on his way to Jerusalem. There's no need for another ticket to be bought. The ship has only pulled in there because... You didn't have cruise ships back then. You booked fare on ships that were going places because they were cargo ships. And you sailed with them to get to your place. But they would often have stops where they would stop and unload and load again to go to the next port, which might be where you're going. And so they've pulled into this port and they've unloaded the the cargo And while they're unloading and loading a new cargo, Paul, as his habit was, he's not going to waste time. He was very circumspect and always redeeming the time. And so he's off into the city to find a group of disciples, to find a small, a local church. And he does. 
And when he finds that, if I know Paul, he preached until midnight until somebody fell out of the room, you know. And, and uh, then there's great fellowship and, and, and just hearts are knit. And, and one elder, one prophet, begins to say, Paul, I, I, I don't think you should go to Jerusalem. I, I think you're really going to face difficulty there. And as a matter of fact, Paul, I, I think it's going to be dire. And, and I would just urge you, because of the danger, don't go to Jerusalem. Well, if you knew Paul, you knew his face was set. And he was going to Jerusalem. He believed it was of the Lord. And he was going to do what God wanted him to do. And so when he resists that advice and says, no, I'm going to go, what they did was they all, when it was time to go back and board the ship, they all went with him. Wives, children, members, the entire church went with him. Not because they had to go buy a ticket, but because there was something even more important. And it shows us that they kneeled down, all of them, they kneeled down with him and prayed. And you know what the motivation was? They didn't think they'd ever see his face again. There was no guarantee he was ever coming back. And they knew that more than anything, more than a dollar bill or a sandwich or new shoes, they knew that what that man needed was prayer. Prayer for his protection. Prayer for his courage. Prayer for his soul. Prayer! I can't tell you how much I believe what I'm about to say. As much as I believe it is our responsibility to fund these folks whom God has called to go to these places, and it is essential that we raise the funds to do it, I don't care how many dollars we put in their pocket. If we do not prayerfully surround them with prayer and God's power, the work will not be done. A dollar bill never opened one heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that removes the scales that Satan has put on blinded eyes and the only thing that will break the chains of sin in these cultures and the bondage that it brings is the power of the Spirit of God. And my friend, we owe these young people I'm glad for churches that have the testimony of faithfully supporting for so many years. But I want to tell you, there is a hidden thing. And that hidden thing is, it's as equally important to be faithful in praying for these folks. My family, and I can only speak for our family, we certainly at Heritage had a prayer faith, prayer promise as well. And on Sunday evening, Sunday morning, we would take up our faith promise. Sunday evening, you would promise and have an, a missionary name assigned to you, and you would faithfully pray, I'm sorry, promise to faithfully pray for that family all that year. And you would pray for them to be protected, but you would pray for them to have power. You, you would pray for that guy to be able to learn the language. And, and pray that somehow his wife could learn the language so that she didn't live isolated in a place from everybody except her husband and her children. 
You, you prayed that they were not going to get the disease that was prominent in that part of the world. You, you prayed that they were going to be able to stand the emotional separation. I'll talk about that in a moment. But every day you prayed, God protect them, God provide for them, God in, in, in give them power to do what they must do, for it is only by prayer will they really break through into that culture. I can't think of any more important passage than this entire church kneeling down in prayer. I hope that you're faithful in prayer, not just giving. Notice one last with me. Acts chapter 20. Really, it's the beginning of this journey, but this is a different church and a different group. Notice in verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore. And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they, and here's our word, accompanied, propimpo, they accompanied him unto the ship. Well, you say, preacher, that doesn't sound like all that, you know, vital. Well, let me see if I can put it this way. They all walk down to that little dock. And let me tell you what I see in my mind's eye. I see that ship casting the ropes off, and I see that church, maybe 30, 25, 30, 40, if, if it's large, kids, you know. Kids are throwing rocks in the water while mom and dad are prayerfully watching. I see the elder of that church standing there in front and his good men and women supporting. And I see that ship pulling off from the dock and out into the waters of the harbor, very calm. And they're standing there. Maybe Paul, you know, he's pretty much blinded by this time. But he's probably standing on the dock or standing by the, the ship at the rail and knows that they're still standing there. He can't make them out anymore, but he sees that big blob and they stand and watch as the ship goes out into the open waters. And in my mind's eye, not biblical, but in my mind's eye, it's not until that ship drops over the horizon that any of them move and make to leave. And you say, preacher, what's the point? The, the point is, is that they're trying to do anything they can to say to Paul, we know where you're going. And we know it's difficult. And we know it's dangerous. And as we are standing here until you are out of sight, we want you to know that it's a statement that we will not forget you when you are out of sight. I am told that one of the greatest emotional pressures on the mission field is loneliness. Wondering, does anyone know we're here? 
Does anybody care about what we're doing here? I say to people all the time, did you know that missionaries have the same aspirations for their children that you do? They have the same desires for their kid's birthday as you do. They, they want their children to enjoy life like you do. They have the same desires for their home that you do and for their lives. And, and sometimes where they are, don't, don't hear me saying that they're miserable and they hate doing what they're doing. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying sometimes, especially with the means of communication that is available to us today, it is so simple to just speak into the life. You know, I always see missionaries put the date of their children's birth, the date of their wedding, um, things like that. And I say, to my, I say to myself, well, I know what they want. They want presents. What? What? You know what's better than a present? An email that says, hey, Johnny's three today. Want you to know we're thinking about you and Johnny and that birthday party you're having. Do you not think that speaking into that person's life, I remember you. I remember Johnny, how he tore the nursery up. I remember how loud he was in the fellowship hall. I know he's three today. And we love you. We love Johnny. No present. Just remembered. Just remembered. Well, there's going to be days where that little four-year-old has 102 fever. You call urgent care. You get an appointment within 15 minutes. What do they do? They trust an all-knowing and loving God. That's what they do. I'm just simply saying that they need to be remembered and they need to be loved on and not just at a conference, all the intervening space while they are there doing our work. May God help us to see that as a local church, he has called us to propimpo, (laughs) to outfit them financially for the journey. But a dollar bill never saved a soul. And he has called on us to be faithful prayer warriors, calling out their names, calling out the names of their children, calling out their ministry, and pleading with God to do what only God can do through them and to support them emotionally, recognizing that most of them are living on an island in a culture they don't understand, in a place that is far away from home, in a place where sometimes they feel so isolated and lonely that an email, you say, I don't like getting emails. Well, go put yourself in a jungle where you haven't seen anybody that cares whether you live or die for a couple of months and see if an email from home might have a little bit of a different God help us to do our job. We're the outfitters. They're the ones that get to go fishing.
but let's do our job. Let's pray.